All right, Romans chapter 8, um, and we're going to be looking, starting verse 26 this morning. There we go. All right. And so if, uh, if you remember, we've been kind of building up to this point. Paul um, has been building his argument, talking about the Spirit. What does it look like to have life in the Spirit? What does it look like to be uh, a follower of Jesus who now the Spirit indwells your life and, and changes you and, and changes the way that you live and you interact with one another and, um, and the world around us? What does that look like? He's, he's, he's made several comparisons, right? We've, we've talked about how uh, he's compared living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. Um, and then if you guys remember from last week, and, and the nice thing about having a flip chart is that we have a nice little reminder from last week, right? Sometimes you just can't beat pages. But we talked about, Paul, Paul talked about how um, we're living in this already moment of there's things that we are currently experiencing um, and they're not great things. They're not things that we get excited about, but it's our current reality. But then he also compared that with what's going to happen, what's going to be coming one day. So we talked about suffering and longing and a, and a groaning or a waiting that we have for this day. This day that we will be glorified, that we're going to be revealed as sons, and our adoption is going to be completed. And, and, and Paul makes the argument there at the end of that passage that hope, hope is the bridge for those of us that have the first fruits, those of us that have the Spirit living in us, we have a hope of what's to come, of the of the not yet, even though we're we're living in this present already type of moment. And so Paul is just continuing in that phase. Um, he's he's continuing in that mindset of looking ahead with the reality of what it looks like for me today. What does it look like for Paul to live as a follower of Jesus? Um, and realize that we're not perfected yet, but it's coming. And so let's just read. Um, let's just read. We're going to read 26 um, through 30. And, um, and then we'll come back and we'll kind of break those down. 26, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let's, uh, let's pray. So, Father, we, just, we would ask that you come and has already been present this morning, that you would be among us. God, your spirit would lead us into the way of truth. God, um, God as we enter into a, a very challenging passage, um, given our current um, limitations, uh, Father, given our our current capacity to understand the things of you, Father, uh, it's hard for us to to fully grasp what it is that you're saying, um, what what Paul was saying, trying to communicate here in this passage, Father. It's hard for us to to fully understand that, um, Lord. But just because we don't fully understand it, we can't fully comprehend every iota of it does not mean that it's any less true doesn't mean that it's any less of a confidence for us to stand on this morning god and it and, it, and god i just pray it wouldn't be a hindrance for any of us this morning as we as we seek to to understand and to dive into your word and to let it change us father god help us to keep our minds on on that on on, on how we as we read this as we understand your word that it would change us today so we want to just pray all these things in jesus name amen so we're going to work off the premise this morning of the Spirit and what the Spirit does. And, and, and what Paul is going to set up here is that the Spirit helps us, okay? And he helps us in two ways. He helps us in our weaknesses with prayer. And what we're going to say here in just a few minutes is also um, with faith, with prayer and faith. And so the Spirit helps us in those moments because, as Paul says here in the beginning, we are weak. We have weaknesses in our lives, um, and so he starts out in verse 26 in 
the same way. In the same way what? Well, in the same way we just saw last week of, of being in the already but the not yet. Paul is, is tying this together. In this, in this moment that we're living here as we're, as we're looking to our future hope of glory, in the same way in this already but not yet world we live in, we have weaknesses. There are things that are hard for us. We are not here yet. We are not perfected yet. We have not received the glory that's going to be um, given to us when Christ returns. We're still, we're still weak, and there's things that we need help with, right? And so, and so it, 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 as he says, the Spirit then comes in and helps us with these weaknesses. Um, and, and here this word helps, it's, it's, it implies more than just pure sympathy, it's not that the, the Spirit looks down and says, oh, those little weak humans. Even though that is true, even though that is, that is absolutely our condition, is that we have these limitations. It's more the idea that the Spirit is coming to help take part in um, our weaknesses, to help us in that. It's gonna, the Spirit's going to come alongside of us uh, and personally participate with us in sharing in our weaknesses. It's the idea that when we go through these weaknesses and when we struggle, we don't go it alone. But yet we can have confidence, that we can have encouragement that the Spirit is, is with us. And so as we think about these weaknesses, um, I, w- I want us to talk about that a little bit more. Um, so, so what I want us to do is as we get into groups um, this morning, just to start off, I want us to answer this question. When was a time when you were too weak to do something and you needed someone else to help you? What was the time? Maybe you tried to do something for the first time. Maybe you were working on something. I could probably stand up here and tell you plenty of stories where I started out, yeah, I had this great idea to fix this at my house. And then by the end of the story, I was calling somebody like Sam to come and help me in that, right? Because of my weaknesses to do that. Um, What's been a time in your life when you needed someone else to help you? All right. Well, hopefully you guys had a few minutes. Um, We probably all share a lot more of those weak moments. Um, But it's it's probably no surprise to anybody that we have weaknesses, um, that we have that we have these moments of of weakness, these areas that we can't do on our own. So what do we do, right? What do we what do we do when we realize that there's a weakness that we can't do something, right? And and what Paul's going to say is that uh, I think part of that, probably what Paul implies here is that. Part of that is just acknowledging our own deficiency, right? Acknowledging our own need for something. As we navigate through life, we, we acknowledge that there are things that we just are weak in and we need help. And so, so Paul, Paul says that uh, in, in, this, in the second part of, of uh, as we move through verse 26, he says that we know, right, or we do not know what we ought to, to pray, what we ought to pray for. Right? There, there are things that we don't know. We don't understand what to pray. Um, and, and so what, what are these things, right, when it comes to, to prayer? And I think there's maybe there's two times in my life that I've seen this. Um, there have been those moments where, as we talked about last week, there was just these deep groanings, right? There's this understanding that we live in a broken world, and I don't even know how to express, but I'm not okay, you know, on the inside, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm broken. Something's messed up. And, and I don't even have the words for that sometimes. And I definitely don't know how to fix that at times in my life. And so there are times when we don't, we don't even know what to say. And that's when, when the Spirit comes in, as He's going to say, and He's going to intercede for us. Um, I think there's also these, these moments we have this conflict of what's the best thing to pray? So like when we're going through suffering, like Paul talked about last week, we're going through a hard time. Do we pray, God, deliver me out of the suffering because that may feel like what's best for me? Or do we pray, God, continue to allow me to learn from this and to grow me through this experience, right? There's sometimes we don't understand, we don't know, right? And we don't know because we have a limited understanding, right? Most of the time, we only know what we're presently experiencing. We have no idea what's to come. and We have no idea sometimes the result of some of the decisions that we're going to make. Um, we, we, we don't know the chain of events that may be set off by a decision that we make, a choice that we make. And so in those moments, we understand that we don't know what to pray because we can't see into the future. We don't know. 
Uh, we don't know. Sometimes there's things that appear in the moment to be bad things that God turns out to be good things. Sometimes there's things that appear to be in the moment good things, and God works them out, and in and, and, and His working them out, they're actually not good things. Um, and so it's hard for us to understand those things because we're weak. We're weak. Um, as, as one commentator has said, he said, we pray selfishly, ignorantly, and narrowly. And I think that's I think that's true. I think that's, that's spot on for our lives, right? We sit down, right, and we pray, and, and we get down, and we say, okay, God, and what do we do? What do we pray for? We pray for ourselves. We pray for those things that are important to us, those things that we want God to fix. We pray for those needs, those wants. And, and not that God doesn't say we bring those to him, but, man, what is the focus so much of our prayers? It's on us, right? It's on these selfish things. God, give me this and and we turn God into this kind of eternal genie. Just, just, just if we say the right words, maybe he'll give us what we ask for, right? Um, like a lad rubbing that lamp, right? Like, like we're just praying for that. Because we don't always understand. And because we're weak and because we're, we're, we're inward focused, right? And so he says, says when, we, when we realize that, in those moments that we're weak, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, Right? The Spirit comes in and, and is an interceder for us and God. The Spirit takes our weakness and the things that we don't understand and then is able to then communicate that to our loving Father, right? Because the Spirit does know, because the Spirit is God. The Spirit that is living in us is God, and so the Spirit does know those things that we're weak in. And so He goes before us. This word, this word intercede has the idea of bringing a petition to a king on behalf of someone else. And so you think about in that role as we pray in our weakness, we don't know what to pray. The Spirit then takes that request and, and, and the Spirit knowing us and, and knowing what's best for us then takes that before the King and presents that to Him, to the Father. And He goes on our behalf. Spirit Himself intercedes. I think there's a little key in here that Paul is tying into that I think is important. He calls him. He says the Spirit Himself, right, implying that this is the third person. Going back to our first week, as we talked about God as Trinity, three and one. Uh, there's just a little note into that. He Himself, right? He intercedes with wordless groans. With wordless groans, and 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 this groans here, we've kind of seen this. Paul's been talking about these groans in the last few few verses. Uh, in verse 22, he talks about how all of creation groans. In verse 23, he, he clues in to say, even we ourselves, uh, with creation, we groan inwardly. And now here in 26, he's saying that as the Spirit intercedes, he's making uh, these groans, or he has these groans as well. And it's this understanding of things are not the way that they should be. And I want us to... To, to just be real careful, uh, because I think some people have taken this verse and, and really pulled it out to say something that it's not saying. Um, people have, have pulled this out historically to say that uh, this is some sort of special prayer language, maybe, or some sort of special tongue here that we have from the Spirit, and I don't think that's at all what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying that this is some sort of magic incantation or something that gets God's attention. Um, in fact, if you look at the word here, he says that he, that he intercedes with wordless groans, right? And so it's really hard to see how people would, would take this and, and try to make it say that this is some sort of special um, elite tongue or experience for someone to have in order to get special attention from God because these groans, they're wordless, right? They, they don't communicate. It's between the Father and the Spirit, as he's going to say here in just a minute. As one, as one guy said, he says, this verse says that the Spirit prays for us, not that he prays through us to the Father, right? He goes on our behalf before the Father, not that he is, is coming and making us speak things that we normally wouldn't speak. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that the Spirit intercedes between us and the Father. And so, so, so that lends to the question, how then? How does the Spirit do this? How is he able to, to intercede for us between us and the Father? Well, we know that him and the Father are one. Right? As, as, as Paul has brought to our attention um, in the first part of this chapter, the Father and the Spirit are one. They're one God. They share in that together. And so as he says here, the, the Father who searches the hearts right, also knows the mind of the Spirit, also knows the Spirit, right? Because they're one. This connectedness, this unity that the Father and the Son and the Spirit all share in, 
that the Father intrinsically knows what the Spirit is thinking and what the Spirit is, is saying, um, and He understands the Spirit. So as the Spirit is indwelling us, the Father then knows what the Spirit is saying as He's searching our hearts, and He knows the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit is, is praying in place and for us. And what does the Spirit pray? Well, He prays according to the will of God, right? And t- according to the plan of God. See, the Spirit also knows the plan of God. He knows what God's will is for our lives and the plan that God has for our lives. And so as the Spirit intercedes and makes, makes intercession between us and the Father, the Spirit also knows the plan that God has and helps us in those moments, in those moments of weakness. And so as I think about this, right, as I think about the way that the Spirit then intercedes for us, um, to, to me, um, I think that brings an understanding of gratitude and trust, right? I'm so grateful in that moment when I realize my weaknesses and when I understand that there are weaknesses. And sometimes there are moments I don't know what to pray, right? Sometimes because it's just so deep and so hard. And other moments just because I don't understand enough. I don't even come close to understanding what the best outcome is going to be for me ultimately, right? I may have an understanding in this moment what I feel like may be best, but I don't see the big picture. And so I'm so grateful, but yet at the same time, understanding that the Spirit is God, right? The Spirit and the Father are all God, right? The, the Trinity that gives me a great amount of trust for what the Spirit is, is going and interceding on my behalf, right? And, and, I, and I think we have a hard time picturing this just because because God is, is so much bigger than we are, right? And, and Paul's going to even get into a, uh, here in just a minute a, a, another concept that, that really kind of stretches the, the limits of our mind and of our thinking. But because God is bigger than us and because it's hard for us to understand this, it's hard for us to, to practically think about what this looks like. But the best illustration that I can think of from a, from a human perspective may be that of a parent and a child, Right, and, and those of us that, that are parents uh, or, or that have, have raised especially young kids at some point in our life, we know that there's moments sometimes that as a parent we have to make a decision that, that we, because as the parent we know where that, that choice is going to lead that child, we have to make a decision and help that child make the best decision. But a lot of times in that moment, that kid, like, they don't get it, right? So like my, so like my, uh, I shouldn't laugh, this is not, this is not a good parenting moment. Well, it was, but not good for my child. So this week, um, I was going to the mailbox, and uh, for whatever reason, we have the one mailbox in our neighborhood that's across the street. Everybody else's is on their side of the street. We have the one that's across the street. And so we've talked to our boys time and time again about not crossing the road um, unless there's an adult with you. Somebody's holding your hand, you know, and we look both ways, and we do the whole thing. So this week, though, we're out there, and uh, I walk across the street, and Jackson's on his bike. And, and for whatever reason... Um, he just thinks that, hey, you know what, today, this is, this is okay. It's okay for me to cross because I guess he could see me. I don't know what the deal was. And so I turned around and he's like right there beside me on his little, you know, on his little bike or whatever. And I remember in that moment, um, just, just sitting down and talking to him and helping him try to process through the fact of, buddy, I realized in that moment, that probably seemed like a good idea, but you don't see what could have been. You don't see the fact that there was a car that came down the road just a, a minute later that could have, you know, if that car would have been coming a little bit earlier, that could have been really, really bad for you. Um, you know, and, and I think that moment maybe helps me understand a little bit of, of that role of what the Spirit does for us, right? And, and I feel like the Spirit just kind of comes alongside and says, you know what, child, I understand you don't get it all yet. You don't understand it all yet. And so I'm going to help you in this moment. I'm going to go to the Father on your behalf and help you as you go through these hard times, these moments when we don't know what to pray. And so with that being in mind, okay, with that being in mind, um, let's take a few minutes and just talk about what are some of the challenges as it relates to prayer, um, and, and how have you, how has the Spirit, how can you see the Spirit being beneficial to you in those moments? Okay, so, 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 so what are some of the challenges as you pray and as you, as you spend time communicating with God? What are some of those challenges that you've experienced? And how then also can the Spirit, do you think the Spirit can be a help in those moments? All right, everybody. Um, okay, come back. Come back together. Um, and so, so Paul here says that there's a, there's a weakness that we have, and, and, and one of those areas is prayer. Right? One of those areas that we have a weakness in is prayer. 
Um, and yeah. and I filled up I filled up my coffee after when you guys were talking because this next one we're gonna about to get a little deep. So hopefully you brought your waiters on this morning. Um, I know you guys are all anticipating us talking about verses twenty nine and thirty. We're gonna get there in just a minute. Um, but I think Paul also is is bringing the idea of. There's also this element we have a weakness not just in our prayer but also in our in our faith in our trust in our putting complete uh, trust and faith in God. Look at verse 28. It says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose." I think it's interesting that Paul moves from there's things that we don't know, right? how to pray, there's times that we don't know, to now here's something that we can know, that we can be sure of, that we can anchor our souls to this solid foundation because it's not going to move. And what is the thing that God, uh, that, that Paul is writing that we can anchor to? Well, it's the fact that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, and so we see here that we can trust this, that we can know this because it is God who is working, because it is God who has said this, uh, because it's not just a human being, it's not just human words, and we're not just limited to what we can do, but we can find strength, and it will strengthen our faith because of what God is going to do. And so Paul is writing, he says, we can know, right? There's something that we can put our hope, that we can put our trust in, that we can anchor our lives to. And I think it's important as we read through Scripture, there are time and time again where the writers of Scripture will tell you, you can know these things, right? Because we live in a world of a lot of unknowns. Um, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not, we don't even know what's going to happen with the weather, right? Like, it's like one day we're thinking it's going to, you know, it's 70 degrees and the next moment it's raining. And like, we don't even know. There's so many things we don't know. But in the midst of all of this, Paul's saying there's something that we can know, that we can have assurance of, that we can be rooted in. Uh, this is the same way that, that the gospel writer, or um, yeah, the gospel writer John in First John in his letter, he says this in uh, chapter five, verse thirteen. Okay. Technical moment. If we were in a big church, we would have people to do both. But that's okay. First John chapter five, verse thirteen and fourteen says this: I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And, and, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? So here we see that, that there are things that we can know, and when we know them, we can have confidence in them. And so verse 28 is something that we should know, that we can have confidence in. We can know, we can know that God is going to work all of these things out for good, right? And so there's two things that become apparent early on, Okay? One of those is that God is good. God is working things out for good. Um, he's working them out now. Now, notice here it doesn't it doesn't say as as some translations puts it. The, the ESV I think does a fairly good job with this, um, but it says all things work together for good. Some translations will say for your good, right? And and sometimes that's uh, that can kind of get us thinking in a way of well, what's good for me, right? Um, but this is, this is according to what, what is good, what God has established as good. And so the events that happen in life are good because God himself is good. But also notice that, that, that Paul here is saying that, that, that God somehow works all of this together. How is he able to do that? Because God is sovereign, right? God is sovereign. I love my church, man. It takes a community on Sunday morning, right? Um, we got to know our weakness, right? And so, and so God is good and he's sovereign, right? He's in control. He can work things out. He can even work things out that appear to us sometimes to be bad for his good purpose. I mean, I don't think we get a better picture of that than what we celebrate next week. His son coming and laying down his life for our sins. How much worse can, I mean, what... What is, the, what is the worst thing that you can imagine in your life? Something happened to one of your children, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And yet, even in the worst thing, God works it out ultimately for the best good, right? Because he's good and because he's in control and he's sovereign, right? And so he says he works that out. Well, who's that for, right? For those who love God. 
Those who love God, right? This is not just an open appeal to say, you know what, if you're far from God, that everything in your life is going to work out for good one day. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that for those who love God, ultimately it's going to work out for good, right? Um, it reminds me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, what Paul says. He says this, um, But as it is written, no eye has seen nor ear have heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those what, who love him. There's something as special, special things that God is working out for those that love him and follow him. And these are good things that we can't even imagine. And so God works all these things together for good. Now this is not some sort of prosperity gospel moment. This is not to say if you have enough faith that everything in your life is going to be easy. I think this is the anti of that. You may not understand it, but ultimately it's leading to good. Um, as Daniel Wallace has said it, he said, There is a place beyond the horizon of what our senses can apprehend, and it is more real and more lasting than we experience in this mortal shell. If we define good as only what we can see in this life, we have missed the whole point of this text. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not good defined by what I look at in this moment but it's good to find out what god's doing so think about the idea of of good and, and god working out things for for ultimately for his good and his plan which is really for my own benefit i can't help but think about that moment right in genesis chapter 50 as joseph has been betrayed by his brothers right and what is what is what does joseph say when he interacts with them in verse 20 he says this but as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Right? God has this understanding that, 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 that good doesn't necessarily just mean what's favorable or, or in my mind what is, what is, in my opinion, the best thing of the events, but for what is, for what is good. It reminds me of a story. Um, there is, uh, in the French Academy of Science, there is an old shoemaker's owl that's, that's hanging in there, right? And the owl was, was one of these instruments they would use to, to poke holes in things, right? To, like, so for like shoelaces or things like that. Um, and so there's this, this owl that's hanging in, in, in there in display. And um, one day, as, as the story goes, uh, this owl fell off of the table at the shoemaker's house. And the shoemaker had a little boy who was nine years old. And as it fell, it fell right into his eye. And it blind. It was, in fact, it was so severe that he lost all sight altogether. And so the boy grows up, and he rolls in a special school, and even learns how to how to read, uh, handling these large carved wooden blocks. Um, and he becomes an adult. He says, "You know what? There's got to be a better way to help people read other than these blocks." And so what he does is he takes um, what he had learned from from reading these blocks, and he puts it on a piece of paper. And the system of dots that he puts creating this alphabet on a flat surface, right? As we all know, that's called Braille, right? This, this kid, his name was, was Louis Braille. Um, and in fact, he used that owl that put his eye out, that blinded him as a boy, as, as the first instrument to, to create this Braille system than, than what would be able to help thousands and thousands of people to read today, right? Sometimes what seems bad to us in the moment or what seems good to us in the moment ultimately is is not the way that, that God's going to work that out or may not work that out. And so it's important that God's going to work these out according to his purpose, right? According to his will, according to what is good, and according to what he has chosen to do. So God is, God is sovereign in the midst of that. Not only is he good, but he's sovereign. He is, he is ordering and controlling the events in this world. His hand Right? As, as one guy says, the hand of God is at the helm. He is steering us through the storms of life toward home, toward a safe haven. And he takes care to order all the events of our lives right now to speed us on our way there. This is what we call providence. God's overruling hand at work everywhere in a fallen world. I think that's a beautiful picture of what he's talking about. God is, is working these things out. I can have confidence. I can, my faith can be strengthened because, you know what, I see the storm in my life and I don't understand it, but yet I know there's a good God that's guiding that and he's got the control. He's got the strength and the power to ultimately bring that out for good, right? And I can rest in that and that can encourage me in my faith. And so, let's take another minute and I want us to, to discuss this. When has there been a time in your life Right, that you have sensed 
the hand of God moving in your life, even though you may not have realized it in that moment, right? Has there been an event, has there been a moment in your life that you can look back on maybe and say, you know what, in the moment I didn't understand, but now sometime later I can see, man, God was using this in a pivotal way in my life. As, as Paul finishes out this passage in 28, 29, I want to set the framework for that um, because these are, these, are very, uh, these are very important verses to some people. Um, these are very strong verses to some people, and, and I want to make sure that we understand the context, right? And so what, one of the questions I think that comes to mind then as we think about God being good and God being sovereign specifically, um, but, but in both of those, how do we know? Like, What's our proof that things are going to work out? For our good, um, how are how do we how can we have confidence then? How can that strengthen us? How can we know that we can have confidence that they're going to work out well? We have to realize that God knew it and that He planned it. That's part of understanding God's sovereignty is that God knew it and that He planned it. And that's and that's what Paul is going to say here in verses twenty eight. I'm sorry, twenty nine and thirty. And so let's read that together. Twenty nine says, for those right those that that were who love God, those, those people, um, those he foreknew, right? He also predestined. Why? Why would he predestine them? Why is God making a plan, predestining, helping, helping bring about this, uh, putting all of this in order, if you will. He predestined to conform, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren's. And those that he predestined, he, he also called. He goes on in this. And those he called, he also justified. And those that he justified, he also glorified. Um, a lot of times what we do in this passage specifically is we pull out these big words, uh, predestined and called and justified and glorified, and we make them, um, we rise them up to the top. And that's not to say they're not important. They are important. They are important words, and we're going to talk about them because I don't think we can faithfully treat this passage without doing that. But I want, also want us to see that the word that is connected with those words as well. Look at there, in each one of them. For those he foreknew, he predestined, he predestined, he also called, and those that he called, he also justified, and he justified, he also glorified. I think there's something to understanding that that's our proof. That's, our, that's helping us understand that God is sovereign, is that not so much do I have to understand all these technical words, but do I trust the God who's doing all of these things, right? To me, that's the proof. That's the proof that things are going to work out for good is because I know God. And the God that I know, he's going to work them out for good, and he's able to because he's strong enough to do that, because he's sovereignly in control and he's able to do that. And so I just want to encourage us as we enter into this, let's, let's think about that, right? Let's think about who is it that's doing all of these. Well, it's God. And God's able to do that because of who he is. Now, I know when we hear some of these words like predestined, some of you that's sitting here, that's going to freak you out when you hear that word, right? Some of you, it's going to lead to confusion and question. And some people are going to be like, finally, I've been waiting for this, right? There's people all along the spectrum when it comes to this. Um, and I think there's, good, there's, there's reason, right? Um, there's reason because this is a really hard concept. This is a really hard biblical concept for us to completely understand. Um, but what is predestination from a biblical standpoint? And it's God's predetermining of certain events, uh, predetermining of events that God is putting in motion, that God is in control. Um, I think this ties very, very well in with the idea of God's will, right? God has a plan and a will and a purpose. And so God is big enough, strong enough to make that happen. And that's what he's doing. And so the way God does that is by predestining. That's, that's, the, that's the, the biblical kind of phrase here, right? So what I want to do right now, though, before we go further with, with this whole idea of the Spirit helping us with our faith, I want to do, uh, uh, several, several months back, we, uh, we, somehow we were talking about Saved by the Bell, right? And, and a lot of people here like, really vibe with Saved by the Bell, and you guys were like right on for that, right? So there's something that Zach, Zach does in Saved by the Bell, right? Does anybody remember? He'll get in the middle of something, and he'll say, time out, time out right? <laughs> yep, just like that, right? Um, and so what I want us to do is I want us to take a time out for a minute from um, here focusing on the Spirit and what we've been talking about, and I want us to just take a minute uh, or two, it's not going to be a minute, it'll be a couple minutes, um, for us to talk about this idea of God's sovereignty, and then how does that line up? Because the, the question that always comes is, how does that line up then with my free will or my choice or my responsibility, right? That's, that's, the, 
That's that's been kind of the age-old debate that's that's been going on in a lot of theological circles, and even today is, man, if God's in control and He's predestining all these things, how do I have choice? And if if I don't have choice, do I still have responsibility? Is there any responsibility for me? And and how does that does that work together? All of that sort of stuff, right? So I want to take a few minutes and just talk about that because that's one of the issues that surrounds this text. And I don't feel like we would faithfully treat this text if we didn't talk about it. Okay? And what I want to propose to you this morning is that I don't have it all figured out. Okay? I know. Some of you guys may be disappointed and, and like want to walk out the door. But I'm just going to be honest. Like I, I don't have it figured out. And I really don't think that there's anybody who has it all completely figured out. And I think this is where we're going to go with this. Um, I think there is, there is a mystery. There is a vastness to completely understanding God that we can't with our human minds comprehend it completely. However, that doesn't mean that we can't try to dive in and faithfully understand this the best that we're able to, right? And so what I'm going to propose to us today is that both sovereignty and man's responsibility are equally found in the Bible. There there are passages and places that we're both going to find these, right? And so there's, there's, Got it already written up here. <laughs> Can I still pause for a minute? Sovereignty. All right. So there's there's sovereignty and there's responsibility, right? The the fact that God is ultimately in control and ordering events and is strong enough, powerful enough to make it all happen. But yet, man has a responsibility. There's, there's, a, there's a part, there's a role for man to play in all of this as well. And how do we work all of this together? And we see this throughout Scripture. Uh, a great passage for us to look at first is Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Okay? Matthew eleven twenty-seven. 27. This is Jesus, and he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except for the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. There's this idea that the son is the one who, who is choosing, who is sovereign, controlling who he is revealing the father to, right? But let's look at the very next verse, verse 28. What does Jesus say though right after that? Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. There's this idea that the, the son has complete control of who he chooses to reveal but at the same time there's this call that all would come to him we see this uh, in acts chapter 2 verse 22 and 23 where 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 as as luke is writing um and i believe this is uh this is peter and he's saying men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth the man attested to you by god with mighty works and wonders and signs that god has done through him in your midst as you yourselves know, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him. You killed by the hands of lawless men. There's this idea that this was part of God's plan, but yet man still had a role in that. You delivered him. You did this. You had a role to play. And, and ultimately, Paul's going to say that you still have responsibility in that. Because you played a role in that. Because you made a choice in that. And so we see these two ideas. So what do we do with that? Right? What do we do with these two concepts that seem maybe at times to be uh, taking opposite directions? And I want to propose, I, I, was, I was listening to, to John MacArthur this week. Um, a lot of you guys probably have, have used him as a resource in the past. Uh, brilliant, brilliant mind. Um, really is, is helpful in understanding deep things a lot of times. And, and what, as John MacArthur calls it, he calls these two twin truths and i love that idea he says these are two trend truths um and what he says is that they always run parallel to one another and so wherever you see the fact of god's sovereign control you're also going to see that there's a responsibility of man they're never going to intersect and say that there's one or the other but there's this both sense that god is in control but yet man has a responsibility a role to play in that um and he's also going to say that you can never harmonize these two, right? Um, he's going to say he's going to say that that when when we come and look at this idea of, of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, there's not a place that we're going to completely understand how both of those exist together. Um, and the reason for that is because of our limited understanding, 
right? Because we have such a limited understanding of God and the glory and the vastness of God, you know, in our, in our minds, it's like, I mean, it can't exist that God is sovereignly in control and ordering things to happen. At the same time, I have a responsibility and a role and a choice to make in that, right? Those two things just seem like, how do those two things go together, right? And I think the problem is because of it's our minds that's trying to put that together. Uh, we are weak, as Paul has just mentioned. We are weak creatures. There's limitations. There's things that we can't understand. Uh, Michael Yosef, I, lo- I love how he says this. He says, you can't fit two gallons of water into a one-gallon jug. And I think that's what happens when we try to pour these together, right? And in our, in our minds, we're trying to pour in, like, how in the world does God do both of this? And I'm like, I can't imagine. Like, I couldn't do that, right? And that's probably the problem is because I look at it and say, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be sovereignly in control and yet also give responsibility at the same time. Like, I, don't, I don't think I could do that. And I think that's the problem is that we have a weakness. We are the weakness. And so my goal then for the next couple of minutes as we talk about this is to make you completely comfortable with the fact that you don't get it. Okay? I want to make you completely comfortable with the fact that you don't get it and you don't have to. That doesn't mean that we stop trying to understand God and that we don't dive in deep and we don't understand. But I want you to understand that it's okay to not fully grasp it to the full detail. This has been a point of contention since since at least 500 years ago, and and probably a lot further than that, right? But a lot of this kind of spearheads back to that moment um, where some of these camps started to to circle up um, and start to debate this idea of, was it God's sovereignty? Was it man's responsibility? And how does that all work together, right? And they're still having those arguments today. And there's not been a declared a definitive winner unless you're in one of those camps, and then they'll tell you, no, we're right. Another camp will tell you, we're right, and right. And so if you're an onlooker, you just kind of say, man, they're, they're still kind of figuring it out. And so there's an element that I don't have to understand it all to trust God and to understand him. Um, and so that's kind of where I want us to go today. Um, and, and, and to help us to get there, I want us to, to, to look at what Paul has already written here in Romans. Okay, I want us to look at what Paul's already written in some of the other chapters of Romans and in the next chapters of Romans. And he, and he kind of fleshes this idea out. So in Romans chapter 9, right, he says... Um, this is the passage where he says that, you know, even though they were born, talking about Jacob and Esau, even though they were, had not been born yet and done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purposes of election may continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, um, he's going to go on and say that it is written that Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And, and, and then Paul's going to say, well, what, what should we say to this? Is this injustice on God's part? He says, by no means, right? For, for as God told Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will, um, but on God who has mercy. And so we get a very strong case here in Romans chapter 9 for the control and plan of God, that God's working these things together. Um, and he is the one at the helm. He is the one making those decisions. And we can't look at God. This is the other aspect of that is we can't look at God and say, God, that's not fair that you're doing that, Right? We are not in a position to stand and look at God and say, God, that's not fair that you're doing that. One, because God doesn't, we don't deserve any of the mercy that he shows us. Neither Jacob nor Esau deserve that mercy, right? We all deserve eternal separation from God. And the fact that God would even give mercy to one person would be beyond our, even, even beyond our understanding. But yeah, we see a very clear picture here in Romans 9 of God being in control. But let's, if we flip over to Romans chapter 10... Right? Like in verse 13, he says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will... And we'll, I'm going to pause right there, right? But there's this idea in 10 that, that there's a responsibility. Anyone who responds to the call of the Lord, anyone who responds then to God's calling, right, that, that they will be saved. And he says, he says um, whosoever will may come, right? There's this idea that... It's, it's a choice. We have a responsibility to play. How are we going to respond to the call of God in our lives? And so we, we see both of these in these passages. Now, I think it's also important here in, in chapter 10 of Romans um, to think about this. Uh, verse 14 um, through 15, I think, is really helpful. And it says this, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are we to believe in him who they have not, or how are they to believe in him that they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, right? And we can spend a whole lot of time in our lives and as Christians kind of debating back and forth. Is it, is it this, God's sovereignly choosing plan? Do I have a responsibility? Yes, 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 yes. We can spend a lot of time on both of those things. But I think we also need to spend equal or more time also on verse 14, right? If God is in control, but yet at the same time man has a responsibility, how in the world are they to, to know if they've never heard, right? And so instead of spending all of our time just debating this back and forth, I would urge us as a church to also make sure that we're equally giving that responsibility of going and telling this beautiful news, um, this wonderful news that we're going and we're preaching that beautiful news of God, right? And so we can't, as, we, as we're still trying to figure this out, let's continue to go. Let's continue to go. And then Romans chapter 11, verse 33. And I think this is where uh, it really ties in to, to kind of part of our understanding and, and where this all fits in with us. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways, right? There is an understanding that God is so deep and wide and rich, full and strong and mighty that we're never going to completely get it. And for me, my soul can be most satisfied when I understand that I'm not going to get it, right? In fact, I, I really, it's not about me, but I don't know that I would want to serve a God that I could completely figure out, right? To me, part of God being who he is is the fact that I can't figure him out, that he is more unsearchable and deeper and bigger and wider than I can imagine. Maybe there's some encouragement from the psalm writer in Psalm 77, verse 19, who says it this way. It says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. There's this idea of God's hand. We see it moving powerfully. These miraculous things, these paths that he made, but yet the footprints were unseen. There's, a, there's an idea that there's a realm that we just don't see. There's a horizon, right? And, and, and the thing with the horizon is there's a limit to what you can see on the horizon, right? It gets to a point where you can't see. And I think that's part of it. There's things that we can see on this. There's things that we can understand but yet on the horizon, we can't completely figure it all out. And so we, so we stand here with these twin truths that God is absolutely in control and that yet man has a responsibility in that. We have a response to that. And so now we're, we're done with our little timeout. Hopefully that was helpful. I know I didn't answer all your questions. Maybe I created more. I don't know. But let's jump back into the context that we were talking about how the Spirit helps us with our faith. Right? And let's look at the context of what Paul's saying. Paul is using all of this as a proof that we can have confidence that God is good and that he's sovereign. Because he's, he's already planned these things out. He's already got a plan and he's working that plan. Right? And what is the plan? Well, he has predestined those that love God. He's predestined us to be like his son Jesus. Right? That's encouraging to know that the trajectory of my life now, as I love God, is to come into conformity, to be like his son Jesus. That's my trajectory, and that's what I should be aiming for in this life. Verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn, right, among many brothers. Um, and just a little side note, um, in case maybe some of you guys have some friends that are uh, maybe Jehovah Witnesses, um, they will take this passage to say, you know what, Jesus was born, right? Because um, it says the firstborn. But a better translation of that word, just so you know, in case you're ever in that conversation, it doesn't mean firstborn in the sense that we think about he was literally born. It means that he was unique and to be the first, to be above this other class. And so as we are to be created in his image, we realize that he is the goal, right? He is the, the foremost um, but, but not that he was literally born. And so I just want to clarify that in case you ever find yourself in that conversation. Um, this is the passage a lot of times they will like to go to. Um, but it really means unique or different um, among his brothers. So I just realized what I did. Um, we're so technologically um, has messed this up. I tried to scroll my Bible, my paper Bible just now. I tried to scroll up to get to the next passage. Wow. Jesus, help us. Um, Verse 30, though, and so then he, those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified, right? There's coming a day, right, that we get to be glorified, we get to be made perfect in God's image. And I think the more 
that we can focus on the majesty of God in this and what he's done and less on the methodology, right? More on the gloriousness of God's sovereignty and how he gives us responsibility and less on how I have to figure it all out. It leads me to worship him more and more. Uh, one final illustration uh, before, we, before we get to a discussion time, okay? One final illustration. I think this is helpful. Uh, this comes from A.W. Tozer. Um, brilliant, brilliant man. Um, here's what he says. He says, uh, he says that to help us understand that it's how these two things work together, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. He said it's like an ocean liner that leaves New York bound for Liverpool. He said it's, its destination has already been determined by the proper authorities. Nothing can change it, right? And this is at least a faint picture of sovereignty, Right On board the liner, though, are scores of passengers, and they're not in chains, neither are their activities determined for them by decree. They are completely free to move around as they will. They eat, they sleep, they play, they lounge on the decks, they read, they talk together, and all together they do what pleases them. But all the while, the great liner is carrying them steadily toward a predetermined port or destination. Both freedom and sovereignty are present here, and they do not contradict. So it is, I believe, with man's freedom and, God, and, and God's sovereignty. The mighty liner of God's sovereignty designs to keep us in steady course over the sea of history. So how, did, how, does this, how does the Spirit help us embolden our faith? How does, it, how does it help us, right? Well, it can help us to know that God is good and that God is sovereign, right? And if I know that God is good and I know that God is sovereign, that helps me a lot in this world. Even though I don't understand things and there's a limit and there's things that will shake my face sometimes and, and I don't understand everything, if I can know that God is good and that he's sovereign, man, that builds hope for what's to come. That builds hope even in the midst of this situation. And so I would challenge us to focus on those things that we know, right? 828, that, we, that God is, is working together all those things for good, for good. All right, so last question. You guys have to listen because I didn't put it up on there. Um, Let's take a few minutes and discuss amongst yourselves, right, what it means to know these two things, that God is good and that God is sovereign, and how this week even, that can help us as we walk our everyday Christian lives, how that can help us uh, to know that God is good and that God is sovereign when I deal with the mess that we call life.